Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Science of the Covenant once again on this glorious and holy Shabbat. We thank you for taking your time out to spend with us today. Uh, before we get started, we want to just let you know we will be taking a break for the month of May. So, just so you know, we won't be uh, broadcasting the month of May, but we will be back. Mark your calendars, June the 3rd. We will be back June the 3rd for looks for us to return with more great content. And within that time, if there is something, topics you want the pastor to maybe speak on in his discourse or something you maybe want us to talk about in the Let's Talk About It segment, please feel free to email us your thoughts and your ideas at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. Again, scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com is right below, right below, right here, the email address. Just hit us there, and uh, we will try to, uh, on air, get to your topics uh, that you suggest because we do want more participation. Well, we have last week was the finishing of the Science of the Sacrifice series at 15. If you hadn't listened to all of them, they are on YouTube. So please go back and listen to them. And today, Pastor is going to give us a different discourse. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to the Pastor. Pastor, so today, what do you have for us? Okay, what we're going to do today is... Uh little change of venue and what we're going to look at is uh, what I've entitled a spiritual science. We're going to look at a spiritual science and as we observe that we're going to make uh, application to our own lives where we can uh, understand how spirituality works. So with that being said, let us have a word of prayer and Go right into our subject for this Shabbat. Eternal Father, we thank you for the privilege to be able to assemble again and to be able to discuss your word and to fellowship. And most of all, that we can have an intimate relationship with you. And as we discuss your word, that you have inspired those to write, that the same Holy Spirit may help us to understand it. And as we make the application of the principles within our lives, we can have the type of spirituality that you would have us to have, and that is to be connected with thee. Pray this prayer in the name of Yeshua the Messiah. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Okay, as we get started with our subject, we want to we want to turn to the book of Genesis. And in the book of Genesis, we want to look at chapter one. And there in the first chapter, we want to look at <clears throat> verses 1 and 2. There's Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to consider verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the spirit of Elohim moved upon the face of the waters. So when we talk about a spiritual science, in other words, we're talking about a study of the spirit. And so when we talk about a spiritual science, we're talking about how the spirit 
interrelate with us and society. So in the creation of the heavens and the earth, one of the first acts of creation was the moving of Elohim's spirit, the Ruach, upon the face of the waters. Now, one of the principles we learn concerning creation of this world is that Elohim puts in place first that which is the foundation of other things which are to come. So when you study the creation and how each day that Elohim puts something together, he first started with the basic foundations. And the basic foundation is anything that's going to support the rest of what he is about to create. So when we look at this, one of the principles that we'll be concerning with in this world is that Elohim puts the first, he puts in place first that which is the foundation of the other things which are to come. Now, the first foundational principle is the moving of the spirit of Elohim. The Bible says the first thing we understand about the creation is it says that the spirit or the Ruach of Elohim moved. So we find the first activity of creation is a moving of the spirit of Elohim. Anything Yah, our Heavenly Father, creates, he establishes, he starts with his spirit. So the first thing we want to observe about Yah's spirit is what we call a spiritual substance. We want to look at a spiritual substance, okay? All right. And looking at the spiritual substance, we want to turn to Genesis chapter 2. And in the second chapter of Genesis 2, we want to look at verse 7. Genesis 2, 7. Okay. Now here it reads in Genesis chapters 2 and verse 7, it said, and Yah Elohim formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Okay, so we're talking about the spiritual substance. Okay. Now, another text that we want to read in conjunction with <clears throat> chapter 2 and verse 7, that in the same chapter, we want to read verses 19 and 20. We want to read verse 19 and a portion of 20. And the Bible says, And out of the ground, Yah Elohim formed man, formed every beast of the field, and every fowl of the air, and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle, and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. So what we see here in these two uh, segments of scriptures is that in Genesis 2-7, it talks about that when he breathed into man, man became a living soul. And then when he talks about in verses 19 and 20, it talks about him naming the animals. So here in these scriptures, we are given the essence as to what composes Yah's spirit. 
there are basically two components to Elohim's spirit. The first component of the spirit is life. We call this part of our study the pneumozoological. Pneumos means spirit and zoological means life, animal life or human life. So when we deal with the pneumozoological, within Yah's spirit is life. So when he breathes into Adam, he breathes into him life. What type of life is this? It is Elohim's life, simply because such a life as he breathed into Adam came forth from himself. Adam didn't become a living, moving, and active person until Yah's spirit was exhaled from himself and inhaled into Adam. Upon receiving this breath of life from his creator, this gave him the closest kinship to his maker than any other kinship that he and his creator could have. Th this spiritual connection that Adam shared with his creator was also that which his wife Eve shared up until it was severed by sin. So let, 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 let's turn to Genesis 3. And in Genesis 3, we want to look at verses uh, 6 through 7. The Bible says in verse 6 of the third chapter of Genesis, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took up the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. So we see that before sin entered, their spirits were connected with Elohim's spirit, but by partaking of that fruit that was forbidden, it broke that connection in a way. So once having sin introduced in the spirit of Adam, that would be an opposing factor to his life that would cause a controversy between good and evil, which would take place within his human nature. So there would be a war within the nature of Adam and that war would be between good and evil that was now in his being. Initially, what united the holy couple to one another and to their creator was Yah's Holy Spirit. Now that their spirit had become contaminated with evil, it would be a battle within their nature and their future generation to maintain an allegiance to the good and to preserve their relationship with him. Moreover, even though sin has affected our spiritual relationship with our creator, yet we still have access to him by our willingness to be in compliance with both his written and spoken word. Now, the second component of the spirit is thinking. We call this part of our study 
the pneumopsychological, in other words, the spirit and the mind. In other words, what we're looking at is, is the essence of the spirit. We're talking about the substance of the spirit. So we find that one substance of the spirit that we've just studied was life. Now, the second portion that we are dealing with deals with the man. So when we talk about the man, we are talking about life, and we're also talking about the way we think. So when we deal with the pneumopsychological, within Yah's spirit is man. What type of man is this? It is Elohim's man simply because such a man as he breathed into Adam came forth from himself. Adam didn't become an, an intelligent, reasoning, and thinking person until Yah's spirit was expelled from himself and imbued into Adam. Upon possessing this breath of mind from his creator, this gave him the union to his maker's mind than any other bonding that he and his creator maker could have. So when Adam was able to name all of the creation that Elohim brought before him, that was because in his spirit was not only life, but also the capacity to think and to reason and to logically deduce things. So within one spirit, one has the ability to think. And so when we observe that, then we understand that these are the factors or the essence of the spirit. Now, the mental association that Adam shared up until this time was separated by transgression. Now, in the same third chapter of Genesis, we want to read verses 17, verses 16 through 17. That's Genesis chapter 3, and we want to consider verses 16 through 17, and it reads, Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow shalt thou bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Curse is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat it, eat of it all the days of thy life. So here we see that when they transgressed, that it took effect on their minds as well. So once having transgressed, in once having transgression within their makeup is infused into the mind of Adam there would be an obstructing factor to his mind that would cause a confrontation between right and wrong, which would take place within the mental being. Initially, what tied the innocent couple to each other and their maker was Yah's righteous spirit. Now that their mind had become polluted with wrong, it would be a battle inside their being and their coming offspring to continue a loyalty to the right 
and to reserve their association with their maker. Consequently, even though transgression has influenced our mental affinity with our maker, yet we still have contact to him by our desire to be in harmony with both his recorded and oral word. So Elohim is still in contact with us, even though the spirit of life and the spirit of our minds has been uh, contaminated and polluted with sin and transgression. But by adhering to his word, we can still, through his written and his oral and his verbal and, and, his, and his word, we can still be able to have our life and our minds orientated to be able to be in contact with our creator and maker. Okay, let us go to our second point now. Let's go back to Genesis chapter uh, 1 and verse 2. And the Bible says here in verse 2 of the second of the first chapter of Genesis, verse 2, here the Bible says, and the spirit of Elohim moved upon the face of the waters. Now, we we talked about a spiritual substance which composes of the spiritual life and the spiritual man. Now, our second point is a spiritual support, a spiritual support. Now, the Bible says here in Genesis, verse 2 of the first chapter, is that the Spirit moved upon the face of the water. What we must also understand is that we need the support. We need the support of the Holy Spirit in order to have a sure foundation upon which we operate. When we read in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, where it says, and the Spirit of Elohim moved upon the face of the waters, in this scenario, there are two types, there are two things, that is, we want to examine first, what is Elohim's spirit doing hovering over the face of the waters? So why, why, why is the Holy Spirit hovering over the face of the waters? Okay. Now, what we're going to learn is that a lot of the things that we see in the creation also have something to do with our redemption. So when we see something in creation, it can be linked also to, uh, to, to redemption. So salvation and redemption go hand in hand. Okay, so what we want to do is turn into the book of 1 Peter. In the book of 1 Peter, we want to look at chap uh, chapter 1, that is, 1 Peter chapter 1. And there in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, we want to consider uh, verses, well, actually, First Peter chapter 1, verse 2, only one verse in there. All right. First Peter uh, chapter 1, and then chapter 1, we want to look at verse number 2. Okay, let's get that. First Peter. Okay. All right, now here the Bible says in First Peter chapter 1, 
And we want to consider verse number two says, it said, elect according to the foreknowledge of Elohim the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Yeshua, the Messiah, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Now, what I want you to notice in this verse, First uh, Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, it says, elect according to the foreknowledge of Elohim the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit. So we find that one of the things about the Holy Spirit is that the work of the Holy Spirit is sanctification. That's why it was moving upon the waters. It was giving out sanctification. So we want to understand why there's such a need of the Holy Spirit. Now let us turn to Romans. In the book of Romans, we want to use chapter 15, and we want to go to verse 16. Romans chapter 15, and I'm reading in verse 16, that I should be the minister of Yeshua, the Messiah, to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of Elohim, that the that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. Okay, let's read that again. That I should be the minister of Yeshua the Messiah to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of Elohim, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. So again, we see the work of the Holy Spirit is sanctification. The unique, this, the unique task of the Holy Spirit is the work of sanctification. Now, to be sanctified is to be set aside for Elohim's use. The work of sanctification is that of a lifetime. When we embark upon this journey of sanctification, it is one that we undertake with the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit. He accompanies each believer every step of the way. So once we accept him through Yeshua, then the Holy Spirit is there with us to continue with us throughout our sojourn in life. Now, in addition to the Holy Spirit sanctifying the water, in, in addition to the Holy Spirit sanctifying the watery substance and the earthly matter, it was not only an active uh, action that he did one time, but it was not only this uh it was not only that the Holy Spirit was just active on the first day of the creation week, but it was also active up to and beyond the six days of creation. See, all the time when we read that the Holy Spirit moved upon the face of the waters, we may have the idea that once he moved from the face of the waters, 
that was it. And he was, he was no longer in the picture. But if you really understand that it was not only him, the Holy Spirit moving just that one time upon the face of the waters, but it was going to be a continuous movement throughout Elohim's creation. <laughs> now, we'll notice that throughout his creation and throughout the creation week, we would find that the Spirit would be operative because if you remember that when he got ready to separate the waters from the waters, when he did that, he still needed the Spirit to do the separation. So what we're trying to understand is that once it was operative or began to move in that first day of the week, it didn't stop moving. It continued to move through the other five days of the week. And even on the Shabbat, the seventh day, it was still moving. Okay. So if we can understand that, then the, what we are trying to establish is that the Holy Spirit is the foundation for everything that came after the moving of the Holy Spirit. So when he moved that first day, he was also active beyond the first day. Once Elohim spirit was in operation, it continued to do so until Eve and her husband were established in their garden home. Elohim's spirit was not only active in sanctifying the water and the earth, but the plants, animals, mankind, and upon the Shabbat, his spirit sanctified the time of this seventh day. Just as it was in the beginning, even so today, in order to experience sanctification of our surroundings and the Shabbat as a time, we must be led by the Holy Spirit and observe the fourth commandment of the Decalogue. The Holy Spirit is he who supports us in our mental, physical, spiritual, social, our surroundings, and all of the seasons of the year. The Holy Spirit is involved in all of that. The Spirit of Elohim aids us in our diet, exercise, dress, decorum. The Spirit assists us in our prayers, preaching, and praise. So when we look at the Holy Spirit, it is the support of all that we do and all that we say and all that we are. That is the basis of the Holy Spirit, to sanctify us and to support us in everything that we do. Okay, now let us go back again to Genesis uh, chapter 1 and verse 2. Genesis chapter chapter 1 and verse 2. And this is going to take us to our, our final point, our third point, which is our final point. Here, the Bible says in verse 2 of Genesis chapter 1, and I'm just going to read a portion of it, and the Ruach of Elohim moved upon the face of the waters, or the spirit of Elohim moved upon the face of the waters. And so what are we observing here? Well, 
our final point is we not only deal with a spiritual substance and a spiritual support, but now we're talking about a spiritual start, a spiritual start. Why is it essential that we have to start with the Father's Spirit? It is His Spirit that brought about the creation, and it is His Spirit that will bring about salvation. The first thing that was needed in creation was the Spirit. So the first thing that we need in redemption will be His Spirit. Without His Spirit, there can be neither existence nor redemption. The Spirit of Yah is the foundation of which all other truths are built upon. Without the foundation of Yah's Spirit, no enduring work for Elohim can be long-lasting. It is His Spirit that starts us on our journey and accommodates us on the journey and helps us to the finish to finish the journey. When we start with Yah's Spirit, we are starting this race with Him on our side. He doesn't want us to start running without Him. And He has to catch up with us. His desire is that we start together, continue together, and end the course together. This path called redemption is a rugged road. Even Yeshua, in giving His disciples their commission to go into all the world, to them He says, Lo, I am with you always. So what we see in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20 is that when He gave His disciples the commission to go into all the world to preach, He said, Lo, I am with you always. How could He be with His disciples always? He would be with them through the person of the Holy Spirit. Now let us turn into uh, John, the Gospel of John, and we want to look at the 16th chapter, the Gospel of John, and we want to lose 16, Gospel of John, chapter 16, and we want to uh, look at verses uh, 16, and not 16, but chapter 16. And in the 16th chapter of John, we want to look at verses uh, 12 through 13. Okay, and here it reads in verse 12 through 13 of the 16th chapter of the Gospel of John. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. How be it? When he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So the Bible tells us that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will give us the truth and guide us into all truth. So in doing that, Elohim, and the creation is letting us know that anything that we do for Elohim, we must start with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that when he started the creation, he started with the Ruach, 
the Holy Spirit, Elohim doesn't start anything. He doesn't start anything new without the Holy Spirit. So when he started this earth, he started with the Holy Spirit. When this earth became so corrupt, and when it became so corrupt, he destroyed it by a flood of water. And the Bible says that when, after the flood had come, blew upon the earth, that wind represented the Holy Spirit, which meant that he had started a new earth after the old earth had been destroyed by water. And the Bible says that Noah sent out a dove. Dove is a representation of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that when Moses came out of Egypt, a east wind separated the Red Sea so that it could go across. That east wind was a starting of a new nation coming out of Egypt. Bible says that when Joshua came to Jericho, seven priests with seven trumpets, when on the seventh day they walked around the walls and they blew that trumpet. That trumpet was a symbolical representation of the Holy Spirit. A new nation was now coming into Jericho. The Bible says that when Israel wanted a king, Elohim told Samuel to go and anoint Saul to, to, to anoint Saul. Saul was to be the new king of Israel. But Elohim didn't start anything until he first anointed it. So since Saul was going to be the first king of Israel and a new king, he had to start with the anointing. The Bible says that when he rejected Saul and put David, that he called the seven sons of Jesse. And the Bible says that when Samuel, uh, when Samuel called the seven sons of Jesse and none of them fitted to build, he asked Jesse, do you have another son? And Jesse said, I have one, but he's out in the field. And Samuel said, I won't rest until David comes in. And when David came in, Elohim said, that is the one. And he anointed David. Why did he anoint David? He wanted to sanctify him. And then not only did he want to sanctify him, but he was starting a new Davidic kingdom outside of Saul. So there was something new. And then when David passed it over to Solomon, the Bible says that Solomon was anointed. And we come on down to the time of Elijah. And when Elijah was about to get ready to leave, he came, Elijah came to Elijah and Elijah said to Elijah, what is it that I can do for you before I leave? And Elijah said to Elisha, then Elisha said to Elijah, I want a double portion of the Holy Spirit. And when he said, I wanted a double portion of the Holy Spirit, then Elijah said, if you're around when I leave, I would give you that double portion, but it's a hard thing. And the Bible says that when the whirlwind took Elijah up, he dropped his mantle down on Elisha, and Elisha received the double portion of the Holy Spirit. And in the book of Ezekiel, the Bible says when Ezekiel looked at it over the he said, can these bones live? He said, prophesy, Ezekiel, and when you prophesy, then the Spirit will bring life into these bones. The Bible says that when we get into the New Testament, that when Yeshua was about to be born, it was the power of the Holy Spirit that started with the womb of Mary and Yeshua was born, the incarnate of the Father, seed that was within her, and he came forth. When he began to preach, the Bible says that he started with the Spirit. He said, because the Spirit 
of Elohim is upon me to preach the gospel. The Bible says that when we started doing the things that he wants us to do, that when we come up out of the waters of Jordan, that we too must start with the Holy Spirit, like Yeshua, when he came out of the waters, the Holy Spirit came upon him. So Elohim is telling us that what we need in the science of the Spirit, we have to start with the Spirit. Oh, Father, we ask that the greatest power in the world, which is the Holy Spirit, may be able to be given to us, that we can be able to know that the Spirit is leading us. So we ask that as we study the science of the Spirit, that we may have the spiritual substance, we may have a spiritual support, and we may start with the Spirit. And whenever we start with the Spirit and move with the Spirit, we shall accomplish the task that you have given to us. Pray this prayer in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah, and for his dear sake we do pray. Amen and amen. Amen. So we got uh, several questions, and I have a few questions myself. Um, okay. When in Genesis 3, 17, uh-huh. and I'm going to put it back up for the viewers. Um, and it says that in Adam, he said, because you have hearkened unto the voice of your woman. Mm-hmm. It sounds like there that um, Yahuwah was also speaking to him at the same time of Eve. Because it said, you know, as he, he hearkened to the voice of your woman. So I just wonder, um, too, at that point, well, I should, I'm asking, was also Yahuwah speaking to him? At the same time as Eve, and he ended up deciding to listen to what Eve, um, and take the apple, or the fruit. Uh, so, you mean at this time in which he's talking to him? Uh, yeah, it was maybe in his both? subconscious that as Eve was trying to convince him to take the take the fruit, that Yahuwah was mm-hmm. also speaking to him. Is that still possible that Yahuwah? was also speaking to Adam, you know, telling him, um, you know, maybe you shouldn't partake of the fruit. And he overruled Yahuwah for what Eve was telling him. So, well, are you getting all this from verse 17 of the third chapter? Yeah, because it says uh, he hearkened unto the voice. You hearken unto the voice of your woman. So it sounds like it was... Mm -hmm you know, two entities that were talking to him and he decided to go with the one entity over the other. Okay. Yeah. I, I think you can take that view, but, uh, uh-huh. let, when, when it says, and Adam and unto Adam, he said, because thou has hearkened unto the voice of thy wife or thy woman and has eaten of the tree, which I commanded thee saying, okay, now we must also understand, I mean, you can get that, uh-huh. definitely. I mean, you can pull that out of there. But then again, uh, if you go back to uh, chapter 2, okay? Uh-huh. If you go back to chapter 2 and you read verse 16, it said, And the, and Yah Elohim commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Okay, uh-huh. now, we have to understand that when we get to verse 17, they have already eaten. and so, okay. 
so 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 the so the fact is, uh, when he says you have hearkened unto the voice of thy woman, uh-huh. uh, and has eaten the tree of which I commanded thee not, verse sixteen of the second chapter has already said that. Okay. Okay. Now here's where your here's where your question come in though. Your question come in this way. Apparently, if Elohim told him in Genesis two sixteen not uh-huh. to eat of it, because if you do, you're gonna surely die. Then, when you look at seventeen three seventeen, we got to we got to believe that those words were still lingering in his mind. Mm, okay. They got to be in his mind because that's where the conflict came in. That's why Elohim is saying, "You are now cursed." Upon the ground, now the ground is now cursed upon which you walk. Mm-hmm. And here, uh, he is pronouncing a curse because of the words that he had uttered to him up front. And so, whether, uh, wh- whether, wh- whether or not uh, he's thinking about this or whatever, we got to believe that the covenant is in his mind. Mm-hmm. He broke the covenant. The covenant goes back before he even broke it. And so now that he he, he breaks it, then there is that conflict in his mind. Mm. Yeah, I, I can see that. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, the other question, too, is in reference to Romans uh, 15, 16. Romans 15, 16, okay. Mm-hmm. And it speaks of the offering up of the other nations or <clears throat> that it might be acceptable. What does that mean? Uh, you, you what Now, what are you asking? Uh, uh, what does it mean to be accepted of the, the nations? Uh, the offering up when, it's, when it says the, uh, that I should be the minister of Yahushua HaMashiach mm-hmm. to the other, to the Gentiles ministering the gospel of Elohim that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable. What does it mean to offering up of the Gentiles? Oh, that's more or less uh, when he said the ministry of Yeshua, mm-hmm. the Christ to the Gentiles. In other words, uh, many of the Gentiles who were now, now you got to understand the word Gentile mean nations. Mm-hmm. And the Jews could be a nation like any any other nation. But to a large extent, when you read the book of Romans and some of the uh, writings of Paul, you know, they had a the apostle to the Gentiles and apostle to the Jews. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about the Gentiles, you're talking about people who are not really based in the Jewish uh, faith as such, but rather outside of the Jewish faith. Mm-hmm. Now, when you deal with the writings of Peter, Peter, uh, he went to the Jews, but Elohim had to open Peter's mind by sending him to, I think it's the 10th chapter of, uh, of uh, 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 I think it's the 10th chapter of Acts, I believe. Mm-hmm. But anyway, when he went to Cornelius, Cornelius was sent to, to Peter, and he was an Italian. He was not among the, the Jewish people, but he had done a lot for the Jewish people, but Elohim sent him to him as a Gentile. And so Peter thinking, hey, this man, he's unclean. How can he 
you know, be a part of, of us. And Elohim showed him a, uh, some animals that was lit down in a, in a, in a sheet and all kind of different four-footed animals. And then he did it three times. He lifted down and up three times. Mm-hmm. And Peter didn't understand that dream after he had, had a dream about it. But then when he went to see Cornelius, and then the people in Cornelius' household who were not Jews accepted Yeshua, and the Holy Ghost fell on them, then uh, Peter's mind was open to the fact that what Elohim was trying to tell him, that if I clean somebody up, be, be they a Jew or not, they are still my people. And so when Paul is talking about the Gentiles, he is talking about a people that did not profess Judaism mm-hmm. or the way that the Jews operated. But when the gospel was preached unto them, because it says here that I should be a minister of Yeshua, the Messiah, to the Gentile, mm-hmm. minister, ministering the gospel of Elohim. What is the gospel of the Elohim? It's the gospel of salvation. And if they, the Gentiles who were not Jews accepted it, mm-hmm. he said that the offering up of the Gentiles, in other words, just like they offered up a sacrifice, this is symbolically speaking that just like you say, I'm going to lift somebody up in prayer. Mm-hmm. And so he said that the, uh, these Gentiles, they are an offering that we're going to lift up to Elohim that he may, that these Gentiles that we are lifting up, that we have preached the gospel to, that they will be accepted. And why would they be accepted? He said, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. So when they accepted the gospel, lived by the gospel, he says, we're going to lift them up to Elohim and let Elohim continue to sanctify these folks. Okay. All right. So basically then, you know, because sometimes I hear certain entities say that, especially amongst us Hebrews, say in so many words that the gospel is just for Israel, but it's not just for Israel, it's for everyone. The covenant is not just for Israel, it's for everyone, just that Israel was put in place to represent the covenant to the world, but then they went astray. But have had we been doing our job, we should have been that uh, focal point to spread his message to the other nations, it seems like. Yeah, well, that's true. But see, when people say only certain people are going to be saved, mm-hmm. uh, and it's only certain Jews or certain Israelites are going to be saved or one of the problems with that, that you have a lot of problem with the Bible as a whole with that is because uh, before Israel was on the earth, people were being saved. Mm. You know, you had Abraham. Okay, I believe Abraham going to be saved. The Bible speaks very plainly, but he was the father of the faithful. Yeah. And at that time, no Jew was upon the face of the earth because if you say mm. nobody will be saved then, then I'm saying, Abraham, look like we're not going to see you no more. Yeah. But that's that's not the truth. Okay, so once Israel came into existence, that still did not mean that other people of other nations couldn't be saved. The Bible tells us that Joseph, when he went down in Egypt, he married Asenate, and Asenate was a sun worshiper because the Bible says that Asenate, the woman that uh, Pharaoh gave to Joseph to marry, she was an Egyptian, and her father was a priest of On. And the, and the city of On, the very word O-N, which was a city, the word O-N means sun. They worshiped the sun down there. 
He was a priest that worshipped the sun, okay? And then, on top of that, Pharaoh, the word Pharaoh means sun, mm. okay? So, if Joseph was over the house of Pharaoh, and he married a, a woman that was sun worshipped, and he didn't worship, and the Bible says nowhere that neither Pharaoh nor his wife had Joseph to worship the sun. But I'm pretty sure... I would think that Joseph's wife would be saved. I, and I, I would think that if Elohim gave uh, Pharaoh the, the vision uh, about a world famine, that he probably would be saved. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say but I would certainly think that his wife would be saved. I would think that his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, may be saved. And then when you come down to the book of Ruth, the Bible says that Ruth was a Moabite. Mm -hmm. And she married Boaz, and she came into the family of the progenitors of the race of Yeshua. Yeshua was in that same line. So if she was a Moabite and Yeshua came through that line, then she would be lost too. But according to the Bible, uh, Ruth will be saved. And there are many examples in the Bible where people were not basically Jews, that they were believers that Elohim accepted them for salvation. Okay. So salvation is for everyone. Ain't just for, for a select few. It's for yeah. everybody. Yeah, because a lot of times what people do when you quote John 3.16, for Elohim so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that mm -hmm. whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. Some people say, well, uh, Whosoever believe, they they are limited to. Uh, they'll say, uh, for he so loved the the Jewish world, but it didn't say the Jewish world. Mm. He said, whosoever believe it shall be saved. He said, for Elohim so loved the world. He didn't say he so loved the Jews. Yeah. But yet and still, they'll take that verse and say he the world he's talking about is the world of Jews. But the Bible didn't say that. There's no Jewish connection in there. Because when he started with Adam, there was no Jew. Yeah. So do you mean to tell me that he going to start off a world without a Jew, and then he going to end up by saying you got to be a Jew? That that mm -hmm. doesn't make sense. That's that's duplicity. Because of the fact is, if you were saved one way back in the Old, Old Testament, you still got to be saved the same way yeah. through Yeshua, whether you're a Jew or not, but a believer. And once you become a believer and do what he says, that makes you his children. Um, so we have a question that was emailed in. Uh, is the Holy Spirit a person? Yeah, the, uh, yeah, the Holy Spirit a person. Uh, but let, let let me explain it this way. Uh, because where you start, mm -hmm. um, I know some people are going to bring it up when regards to uh the Trinity. The Trinity. Mm -hmm. So is there a question on it, just an observation? Um, just observation. Well, sure. because, you know, a lot of people say the Holy Spirit, I think, is a person in regards to that it's a separate person from the Most High. And so, therefore, you know, you have the Trinity, the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. You know. Okay. But well, I'll let you go ahead and answer the person question who emailed it in first. Is it a Holy okay. Spirit a person? Okay, re reiterate that question, then we'll get to yours later. Okay. Is the Holy Spirit a person? 
Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It is a person, but let us understand what a person is. Okay. Now, according to the description of a person in the Bible, a person is one who has a uh, who has a body, mm -hmm. who has a mind, and a spirit. Now, we mm. talked about that somewhat today. Okay. Okay. We talked about the when you got the spirit, you got the mind, and you got the life. Okay. Okay. That's what makes you a person. Now, what is a person? Well, a person is a person. Uh, you have a personality. Mm -hmm. Most times people say, well, you know, you got a good personality or you got a bad personality. So the only way that you can have a personality, you have to be a first a person. Okay. And if you're a per person, what kind of personality do you have? So if Elohim is a person, then he has a personality. Now, what we understand about a person is that in order to be a person, a living person, mm -hmm. you have to have a spirit, okay? So Elohim has a spirit, and then he made man in his image. So when he made man, man also is a person, like Elohim is a person. So if you grieve his spirit, you're grieving him. Just like if you grieve my spirit, mm -hmm. you're grieving me, okay? Because I'm a person with a spirit. So mm -hmm. now, when we consider the fact uh, th that the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, and the spirit of Elohim, okay? Mm -hmm. So now when you say the mm -hmm. spirit of Elohim, okay, then for the mere fact that you mentioned of shows that that spirit has a source from which it has come. Mm, okay. And what is the source? The source is Elohim himself. He said, my spirit. In a number of passages in the scriptures, he said, my, my, even in Genesis 6, he said, my spirit shall not always strive with man. My spirit. Mm, okay. Okay. So, so what we're looking at is that his spirit is a part of him. Mm. And so as his spirit is a part of him, that makes him a person. If you take my spirit away from me, I'm, no I'm no longer a person. person. Yeah. You can't grieve me. You can't make me excited. I can't pray. I can't do anything. Because yeah. if you're dead, your spirit is gone. Yeah. What makes you a person is your spirit. So Elohim has the eternal spirit within him. And so that what makes him a person. So therefore, we come to the conclusion is he is a person with his personal spirit. Okay. Now, let's, now, if you want to deal with the Trinity, uh, one of the problems I have with the Trinity is that throughout the entire Bible, and even Yeshua himself said that Elohim was one Elohim. He said okay. he was one. I don't see where the apostles talked about no Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They talked about the Father and the Son, and they talked about the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. but never, in my estimation, that it was separate from Elohim himself. Whenever they speak about the Spirit, uh, it is coming from Elohim. Just like I hear people say, they say, well, and, and, and they went, man, I'm speaking, they say, God the Father, mm -hmm. God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Yeah. The Bible, you, you can find nowhere in the Bible that it, it ever says God the Holy Ghost. It says the spirit of Elohim. What we have done, when we have taken the word God and put it in front of the spirit, mm -hmm. but 
the first time that you read about the Spirit, it says nothing about God to Spirit. It says the Spirit of God. Now, mm. you know in English, if we even if we don't get into the Hebrew and the Greek, mm -hmm. you know that in English, if I say the Spirit of Richard, I cannot come, come around and say Richard the Spirit. If I say the Spirit of Richard, then I'm talking about Richard's Spirit. Why? Because that's in the possessive. Mm. In the possessive mean that if I say the spirit of Boris, I can't come back and say Boris the spirit. I have mm -hmm. to say Boris, Boris's spirit in the possessive. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if God, if Elohim says the spirit of of Elohim, then I can't come back and say uh, God the spirit. I have to say uh, I, I either have to say the spirit of Elohim or Elohim's spirit, because I'm talking to possessive. But the moment I say God to spirit, I take it out of the possessive and put it into the nominative case, and which is now acting as the subject. It is not the subject. Mm. You, can't, you, 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 you can't mix English up. It's a science. Mm -hmm. So if I say Richard, spirit, then if I want to keep it in the possessive, I say the spirit of Richard. If I say Richard's spirit, I can't come around and say, then uh, Richard the spirit. I can't do that because I'm taking it out of the grammatical structure in which it should be. And that's what a lot of people do. They twist mm -hmm. not only the scriptures, but they also twist grammar in order to substantiate the point that there's a trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And if you, in your research, can show me whatever the Bible says, God the Spirit. That's something that we have injected in there and not mm. the Bible. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I guess that, that answers it <laughs> by far. Oh, we have two other questions, but I'm going to deal with those um, in the Let's Talk About It segment. So we will head over to our next segment. Up next is Let's Talk About That. Well, today, and let's talk about it. I want to talk about Esau because um, a lot of Hebrew Israelite camps say that Esau was a white man. And I just wonder, how do you get a white man from, from two black people? We have albinos. You have people with leprosy, but we don't see in Scripture where uh, these were as descriptive of Esau. So I want to talk about today uh, what was the color of Esau. So if you have your Bibles, if you can turn with me to Genesis, the 25th chapter, and we're going to read verse 25. Again, that's Genesis, the 25th chapter, verse 25. And it reads, And the first came out red all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. So with that, Pastor, it says that Esau came out like a hairy garment and he was red all over. And when I went in and looked up uh, through Strong's, it referred to the Hebrew name, uh, I think it was Adani, I believe. Adani. Uh, what name was that? Esau? Uh, yeah, Uh no, uh, red for the color red. Oh, Edom. Uh, is it oh, Edom? ready? Uh, 
Yeah, Ruddy. Uh-huh. Um, and it came let me put it up. It was the just one second. Okay, uh yeah, so red uh the word uh this is not what I want. What, were you dealing with the word Edom or what? Uh, well, Esau. Well, it described has it in um twenty in the verse twenty five. Uh, uh-huh. the Strongs have H one thirty two, which is red, which uh-huh. points to the word. I believe it was a A D Adoni A D O N. Oh, Adam. Yeah. yeah, Adam means uh, ruddy or reddish. Yes. Yeah, because fear in the name Adam is also his color. Uh huh. And when you deal with Adam, the mean man from the earth, and he was ready. And then when you take the A and you got Dom, and the word in Hebrew for red is Dom, and that's the same color of blood when it's oxygenated. And so Dom also means red. Okay, so if Dom means red, now when I looked in a little bit further, a lot of the uh, definitions for ruddy and red had it tied to being white and flush with red in so many words. Is that correct? And was, is the Hebrew Israelites correct that Esau was a, basically a Caucasian man? I don't think the Bible uh, really established Caucasian uh, in scriptures. Mm-hmm. Neither does the Mongolia. Only one I really see that is really accent is, is, is the Nick Roy. Mm-hmm. I don't see the yellow or the white being accented in the scriptures. This is why there are certain controversies that are going on today that people of the Caucasoid mountains and people who are called Caucasians and Mongolians and stuff like that is that when the Caucasians, you know, claim that they were the first people and yet you don't even see any indication of that in the, in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. It's pointed out more or less Esau and Jacob and when you trace their line, they go back through, you know, uh, Isaac and then Abraham, and they go on back to the Semitic people. Mm-hmm. And the Semitic and the Hamitic people, they cohabitated together. But what I'm saying is when you get to Esau, he's coming down through that particular line. And here Jacob is no doubt of a Semitic and Esau is of Semitic background, both of mm-hmm. them, but one turns out to be red and the other is not, even though it makes a distinction that uh, Jacob was smooth skinned, but Esau was red and hairy. Yeah. Okay, so the, the thing being is, I would think that their colors, even though one may have been lighter than the other, Esau may have been lighter, but he was still ready. It doesn't say anything about him being a Caucasian or, or that. That's but that has to be injected. D- does it also, you know, describe his hair color as opposed to his skin color? 
is that described in Genesis twenty five twenty five? Is that described? Is this is it just saying that his skin color was a ruddy red color, or was it describing his hair because it specifically said he was hairy like a garment, yeah. and and I find that kind of odd because now when when case in point when they describe Yahusha, they described him a being color of copper burnt in fire or mm-hmm. beryl stone and whatnot. But you never hear outside of, outside of the hair white like wool and all. But here it says uh, he came out red all over like a hairy garment. So I'm just wondering, was that actually descri- describing his skin color or was it describing his hair? Well, according to your text, it's describing his hair. But mm-hmm. my experience, even today when I see people with red hair and I... Mm-hmm. Like when I came up in the neighborhood and even I think Malcolm X, who they call Big Red, Mm -hmm. all of them that I have known, and I can't think of one red skinned person that they were not only red skinned, I mean, red hairy, their hair and stuff, Mm -hmm. but they also, their skin was a certain hue. Mm -hmm. You know, it it wasn't really dark brown Mm -hmm. and it certainly wasn't white. Mm You know, not unless you had a white person with red hair, but most of the blacks that I've seen with red hair, they have a certain uh, color uh, skin tone as well from what mm-hmm. I've experienced. So what mm-hmm. I'm saying is, it's definitely talking about hair, but with that hair uh, color, it seemed like the skin has a certain hue that goes along with that color. Mm. <laughs> yeah, um... You know, because it's interesting, like, when the only occasion, and this can even be argued because, uh, you know, the book of Enoch is not included in Scripture. Now, we don't know what reasons it was, if it was in or was taken out. But the only time it described someone of fair skin was, was Noah, supposedly, that he was lighter than everybody else. But it didn't say he was uh, white skin. It just says he was lighter and brighter than everybody else at the time. And he had woolly hair. You mm-hmm. know? And then we look in scripture when people was, was generally white was because they had leprosy, you know, mm-hmm. which changed their skin color. So to me, the basis, most of the scriptures, these people were of color. And then mm-hmm. when they said about science, the the Caucasian people have only been around for a few years. Now, you can get a lighter skin color from black people and all, but I don't know how much you can get a fully white person unless they was albino. Right. And even still then, they do still have the kinky hair. Yeah, well, I think you got to take it also into consideration is let us say they they are, let us say they are white white people. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, at this time in history, they couldn't have been. Mm. There was no white people around. Where where were they? Yeah. I mean, they had come from Abraham to Isaac to Isaac to Jacob mm-hmm. and Esau. So where now even Abraham, when he lay with Sarah, that was a I mean, lay with Hagar, he, that was the Egyptian woman. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, 
how and then when he had uh then when he had Isaac and Isaac re- married Rebecca Rebecca didn't come from an old white tribe mm-hmm. so when Isaac and Rebecca got together and had Esau and Jacob where did the Caucasian race come from so I'm saying two things number one at this time in history there was no Caucasian and the second thing is if we're going to attribute them to being white then from what genetic pool did they come from? Yeah. Because I even think, even though they say Japheth line was Caucasian, I don't believe Japheth was originally Caucasian. I believe if he came from Noah and his mm-hmm. wife, if Shem and him was of color, then Japheth had to be of color also. And yeah, well, you know, the thing, the thing about it to me is that Japheth, even when you deal with the geographical location where he went, mm-hmm. where he went was more prone to develop into white people than staying down in Africa. Mm-hmm. An amazing thing to me is, is that the people who call themselves white and Jews, mm-hmm. how is it that they don't have any affiliation with Japheth who no doubt have more of a possibility of being white than the Semitic people, but they don't claim any of Japheth descendants at all. They just jump over and try to get to be the Semitic people in whom the Jews have come from. So so I imagine if Japheth had been the religion that we were to go by, then they would be stepping aside from the Semitic people and say, oh, we j- we Japheth. We from the sons of Japheth. Yeah. But since Japheth is not known in the Bible as the one who had the oracles of Elohim, but the Semitic people, they try to jump on the Semitic line, just like you have the Ashkenazi Jews. Yeah. You have the Sephardi Jews. But Ashkenazi is German. That didn't come down through the line of Semitic. Sephardi. That's over in Italy and and, and Spain. Mm-hmm. That didn't got come down from the Semitic line, but yet and still they are saying we are German Jews. The Bible never speaks about no German Jews. Yeah, I mean you bypass you you bypass all of these races by being white, and then say that you are a Jew, and most of the Jews, according to Scripture, was people of color. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I just don't see how you can twist scholarship like that. Because when you do that, what you're saying is that you're not respecting what the Bible is teaching. Because mm-hmm. if the Bible says that Esau was red, mm-hmm. now, not that that has anything to do with redemption, but if he, it's important to know that that's, that's what his hair was. And I, like I said, I, don't, I can't factuate it, but I can look and see that all of the people that I've seen with red hair... They had a certain complexion, and like you said in the in the apocrypha books, nor you know he may have been an albino or whatever, or he was just light skinned. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, outside of him, I don't know if any other p- person's skin color would be that way, unless they got leprosy. Leprosy yeah. would turn you white. Now, people who claim that they are white and Jews. They certainly don't want to claim the leprosy. Yeah. 
that say that I'm Jews from leprosy, but they do want to say I'm Jews according to the belief and the faith and the people. But I don't I don't see that connecting in the scripture. But, you know, too, the thing, too, with this whole race thing was constructed just a few hundred years ago. Like during the Bible time, I don't think it was anything regarding race at that time. They were just people. Either you was doing what y'all wanted to do or you weren't. Then you had your different tribes and whatnot. And then you had, you know, the different peoples from the Hermetics and then the Shemites and Japheth where they went and settled. But there was no such thing at the time as different races and skin color and everything. I don't think they looked at it like that. I think it wasn't until they started, they understood who the true Hebrews were. Mm -hmm. And when the Roman Catholics started going on these conquests to uh, train, take people into Christianity, I think that's when we started to see a lot of this race thing come into play in all with the division of people and all because they had to whitewash uh, everything in order to for Satan to kind of get what he wants to get accomplished uh-huh. and the persecution of Yah's true people and all. But it's just, it's just interesting. If Israel would have been doing what Yahuwah asked them to do, will we even have all of this stuff right now? Yeah. That's yeah, yeah. Well, I think some of them, some of them were, but mm-hmm. for the most part, they didn't. Mm-hmm. You know, and as a result of not doing what he says do, then we do have all of this coming in. Yeah. But knowing Satan, that even if they had done everything they should do, it still would be a problem somewhere true. with him. Mm-hmm. That's true. Oh, uh, we have a couple of questions that uh, dealing with the Sabbath. Yeah, two different questions. Mm-hmm. And the first one reads, is there a scripture that specifically says the day because so many people mix up the seventh day with Saturday and Sunday? Is there a particular scriptures that says what? Uh, specifically says, I guess, the day, the, the seventh day is the Sabbath because so many mix it up mix up Saturday with Sunday. Sounds like Yeah. Well I, I'm not sure how more how more specific can it be mm-hmm. uh than in the Ten Commandments. Well not necessarily. Okay. Now when we look in Genesis chapter one mm-hmm. and the Bible tells us it says uh in verse thirty one Genesis 1, 31, mm-hmm. it says, And Elohim saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Okay. Now, he created everything. Mm-hmm. Then in chapter 2, it says, which in some ways, some of the scholars say, maybe uh, verse 31 should not have been the ending of chapter one, but needless to say, they did cut it off. Mm-hmm. But 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 you got verse number one of the chapter two, and notice where I had reached. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. Now, the reason why I say that 
the first verse in chapter two mm-hmm. should be a part of chapter one. Thirty. Mm-hmm. It should be thirty-two verses. Now, mm-hmm. here's my reason for that. If you look, if you look at Genesis chapter one and verse one, what did it say? It said, "In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth." Isn't that what it says? Mm-hmm. Okay. So if it says that. He's ending by saying in verse one, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. Mm, that, okay. that would actually really conclude yeah. chapter one. Yeah. That makes sense. That would have closed it. And then chapter two would have started with this. And on the seventh day, Elohim ended his work, which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he made. And Elohim blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work which Elohim created and made. So so now, either we could put these first three verses with Genesis 1, or we can at least put verse 1 with that. Mm -hmm. And here he specifically says the first day. Now, it didn't mention Saturday or Sunday because at that time, Saturday and Sunday didn't even exist. Mm. But he did put the seventh day. And when we have studied this seventh day all the way back to the time that Moses was in the wilderness for 40 years. Mm-hmm. Now, they can at least trace time, trace time back to the 40 years that he was in the wilderness, okay? Mm-hmm. And if that is so, every time they got twice as much manna on the sixth day. They knew that the seventh day was the Sabbath. Mm. They knew that. So where did they get it? They got it from their forefathers. Okay. okay. So now if we take from, from the time they received in the manna and time to time they got into Jericho and he stopped the manna from falling and now they got a new crop once they got into Jericho. Mm-hmm. And then from that point on, all the way up to Yeshua, now, if they had lost track of the Sabbath at the time of Yeshua, then Yeshua couldn't even kept the Sabbath. Uh-huh. But he did. He kept it because they knew when it was. Okay? And then from Yeshua on up, they continued to keep time according to a seventh-day week. They uh-huh. knew it was. And so by the time they got to naming the seventh day to Saturday, and the Roman Catholic Church named the first day of the week Sunday, the Solus uh, Victor, by the time they caught calling it the day of the sun, it is by, the week has still been already established. Mm-hmm. That Saturday, whatever you called it, was still the seventh day. And Sunday, no matter what you call the first day, was still the first day. Mm-hmm. So by the time you get up to us, out of all of the history, the seventh day week has never been documented to have changed. There were people who were trying to get a nine-day week. There were people trying to get a ten-day week. And there are people that I think they want to even get a shorter week. Mm-hmm. But of all of they doing, they have never changed the seventh day. So by the time the seventh day became Saturday, it was still the seventh day. And by the time the Sunday became the first day, it was still the first day of the week. And that's history has verified that. So we know that the seventh day is still a Shabbat. And the first day is, is still Sunday. But Elohim, remember, he did not name the days. Mm-hmm. He numbered the days. Now you can change up names, but you can't change numbers. Mm. Wow. And that leads into our next question from another listener regarding the Sabbath. And it reads, the lunar 
Sabbath seems to be gaining coverts. What do you think about the lunar Sabbath? Uh, one, one of the problems uh, with the lunar Sabbath is that uh, the Bible says that Elohim is not the author of confusion. He said everything must be done decently and in order. And the only thing about the lunar Sabbath is confusion. Because many who believe in the lunar Sabbath, they are saying every time a new month comes, you got to start a new week. Now, if you're working and you go to your employer and say, well, I got to get off on a Sabbath. And he said, well, okay, fine. We we can accommodate you. You know, you, you're not working on Sabbath, but can you come on a Sunday? And you say, hey, I can come in on Sunday. All right, so he gives you those days off. And then you come back to your employer and say, well, the new moon started in the middle of the week, so we got to start a new week. Now, your employer is going to look at you and he's going to say, wait a minute. You mean to tell me every time that moon come, you're going to start a new week at a different time? That's unpredictable. And Elohim is not an unpredictable Elohim. So every time you deal with the moon, if it comes in on the first day of the week, the second or the third, then automatically you're going to govern the month the, the week has to be governed by the month whenever the month starts. But Elohim didn't start this world in a month. He started in a week. So the week is the basis of time. Uh -huh. So when the month comes in and a week is still going, then, yes, you celebrate the new month, but you continue with the week. Uh -huh. Because there was no month in existence when he made the creation. It was seven days in which the Sabbath came, they blessed and sanctified and made holy the Sabbath, and then they went on. And then Adam and Eve perhaps didn't recognize the new month until three week, three or four weeks later. Then they could recognize the month, but the week determines the month, not the month determines the week. Mm. Now, if we want to get more specific, the Bible says that the month determines the feast days, they don't determine the week. Uh -huh. They determine the feast days, which are the annual feasts, like Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits. They govern the time of Shevioth. They govern the time of the feast of trumpets and the day of atonement. And the last feast, which is Feast of Tabernacles, the moon, according to the Bible, governs the feast days, not the week. And those are the annual feasts. But the weekly Sabbath is governed by the sun coming up and going down for seven days. That is your week. So we cannot say a lunar Sabbath going to start a new week. The only thing that starts a new week is a day not dealing with the month. So I cannot endorse a lunar month. Okay. Well, Pastor, with that, can you take us to the throne as we get ready to close out this podcast for this week? Okay. I love and Father again. We thank you so much. Thank you for my host and the technology that he's been working on. And thank you for each listener who has tuned in. Thank you so much for each person, oh, Heavenly Father, that has been a part of this broadcast, that the power of the Holy Spirit may reach out and continue to bless them and to be able to help them to walk according to the covenant that you have given to your children. Remember the sick and the shed in and those 
Oh, Heavenly Father, that is finding hard because of the loss of a loved one or because of a broken relationship, because someone has been laid off and they are not able to get a livelihood to pay the mortgage or to pay the rent or to pay the car note. And so we ask that you would work with these individuals, oh, Heavenly Father, and to be able to find them ways and means that they can be able to make it and have a life of dignity. Now, Father, as we go throughout the rest of this Shabbat, that you would bless us and bless our families, and most of all, bless our relationship with you, that we can know that our minds and our spirits are in tune with you. And as your spirit leads, we will follow. And may the following of the spirit leads us to your kingdom. And when you do come, may we be a part of the great throng that will be saved through the blood of Yeshua. These blessings we ask in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. We want to remind you, we will be gone until for the month of May. So we will not be broadcasting for the month of May, but mark your calendars. We will be back on June the 3rd. Mark your calendars, June the 3rd, the first Sabbath in June. We will be back. Also, we appreciate all your questions that you email or text in. We appreciate all of that. We love the engagement. Um, we ask you before you go, if you haven't hit the like button, hit the like button for us. We're not asking you for any money or anything. This ministry is totally free. But if you can hit the like button for us so we can start popping up more and the message can go out more to Yah's people. Also, we ask you spread the message of our podcast. Let people know, even if they go to the regular church, I don't care whether Saturday or Sunday, tell them to tune in. If they're not doing anything on Saturday at 3 p.m., tell them to tune in. They may learn something. I'm always learning something every single week. And also, if you continue to have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. That is our podcast for this week. All the paths of Yahuwah are mercy and unto truth, unto such as to keep his covenant and his testimonies. Psalms 2510. Until June the 3rd, Shalom.